Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. So my wife came in, my mother came in, and my father came in. And all of those visits were important. But I just remember my dad was prompted about this a moment ago during that song that when my dad walked up to the the table he was looking down at me and for those who knew my dad was real quiet and uh, he just stood there and I can I remember tears just dripping down off of his face and uh, I knew he was trying to think of maybe something to say and my dad just looked at me and finally said this is only a test and with that he turned around and walked away and it really was. It really was. God used that season of our lives collectively. You've heard me refer to that many times. God used that season of our lives collectively to prove himself strong in many, many areas. And um, so I'm thankful today for those testing times because we certainly all will experience them and we'll experience them with or without God. That is for sure. But I would certainly much rather have God with me. And that song really, Sister Donna had no way of knowing my subject this evening, but that song really just dovetails into what I would like to speak about this evening. I know that for the last several weeks, or at least several weeks, or services during this year, I've talked a lot about prayer. And I have just felt very challenged about the subject of prayer on a personal level. And I've certainly felt challenged about that as far as we are concerned as a church. And uh, I know that we're on the right path because of all the opposition that you face. Because when you find the direction of God, you will face opposition. That's, that's so true. And so tonight, I'm just going to ask you to stand with me and join me in the book of 1 Kings 18. And uh, if you'll just keep your Bibles open to that 18th chapter, we're going to skip around just a little bit and talk about some of these verses and pray that the Spirit of God would just quicken the word to our hearts here this evening. Isn't there such a sweet spirit? My goodness, what a great great spirit praise the Lord the book of 1st Kings chapter 18 and verse 21 the scripture says and Elijah came unto all the people and said how long halt ye between two opinions if the Lord be God follow him but if Baal then follow him and the people answered him not a word. I want to choose a subject this evening and just preach to you or speak to you about this. When God's people pray, when God's people pray, I'm going to try to hopefully with the help of God say something here tonight. I, I know that many times we can just pick up vernacular in the, in the church world just like you can in any other realm of society. And I know often that we can just say to people, I'm praying for you. And, and sadly, sometimes that is meaningless because that's the last time it's thought about. But I take that very serious. I'm not suggesting that I've never forgotten, but I take that very serious when I say I'm going to pray about that because I believe that's a commitment or a covenant that you're making with someone and I want to make sure that uh, that I don't lie about that like I wouldn't lie about anything else. And uh, so 
said that to say this, that if we could only understand in our finite minds what happens when God's people pray. I believe that it would give us a greater desire to pray and certainly we would have far more confidence in what we're doing when we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Let's just be seated together and make this journey if we can. In the book of 1 Kings, we encounter a group, uh, at least a group of the children of Israel that had drifted away from their fundamental relationship with God. And to some degree, their relationship was not genuine. And the reason I say that, um, Elijah said, how, how long halt ye? between two opinions. The word halt there literally means to limp or to sway or to, or to totter. And so he said, I want to know how long you're going to limp along or be swayed or tottered in your faith about who God is. Because that is really the, the centerpiece, the crux of the matter is who God is. And uh, verse 17, I, I didn't want to just read all of this for this the whole chapter for the sake of time, but if you go back to verses 17 and 18, you can see that uh, Elijah was troubled because of what some of the children of Israel were doing. And so he said, I want you to go gather for me. You go gather for me the children of Israel and the prophets of Baal. And let's just all come together and we'll hammer this out. And so very boldly, very uh, confidently, Elijah says that if the Lord be God, then you follow him. But essentially he is saying as well, if Baal be God, then you follow him. Now when you, when you dive off into a world that is this black and white, you had better be sure what you're talking about. <laughs> because this is no maybe, no might be, no probabilities, no hope so's, no cross our fingers, Hope it all comes out in the wash. He said, if God is God, let's follow him. But if Baal is God, we're going to follow him. This didn't happen in a smoke-filled room in some corner. This didn't happen on the backside of nowhere. But this happened very publicly. He said, I want us to all come together. Let's all talk about this. And we're going to prove once and for all who God really is. And so, obviously, while they were in the wilderness, they being the children of Israel, uh, they depended on God not only for their guidance, because we know the scripture says that the cloud led them by day or the fire by night. So, night or day were they not without some form or sense of direction. And so, they depended on God for their guidance. We know, additionally, that according to scripture, that they also depended on God for their sustenance. They, we know that God was uh, giving them manna in the wilderness. And so without the manna that God had given them, they would have surely died. And so from the very beginning of time until this very moment now, we can see a very consistent thread in the heart and the mind and the spirituality of mankind. And that is this, difficult times always cause man to depend more upon God. It just seems like the more God blesses us, the less we need him. Amen. And the less sensitive we are about those things because it's already there. Most of the things that I would dare say we pray about are things that we probably can fix if God doesn't come through. Amen. We're, we're going to kind of pray safe in the safety zone. We kind of pray right there within with all these catch nets that if, it doesn't happen. If it doesn't come through, then I could probably eat by on my own. But Elijah has brought all cards to the table. He's laid everything out, and he said, today, once and for all, we're going to settle this. And so uh, it was with the children of Israel during their journey from Egypt to Canaan. Uh, they depended on God, but when they got to Canaan, there was a warning that the Lord had given them all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy that said, just remember this, when you get to houses that you didn't build and vineyards that you didn't plant, when you get to the land where you no longer have to struggle, don't forget the God who brought you to this land. This began all the way back in the book of Genesis 11 when the Lord spoke to Abraham 
And he said, I want you to come out of your father's house and leave your father's country and come out of the land of Chaldeans, which was a land filled with idol worshipers. And uh, we know that the, that the father of Abraham was an idol, not only an idol worshiper, but an idol maker. And so he said, I want you to come out from that and I'm going to lead you to something better. They got part of the way and stopped because of Abraham's father. He said, well, well there's no need to go any further. We got right here and there's well-watered grass. We've got everything that we need. Uh, they knew they were facing many miles of desert sand. So he said, we've got everything that we need right here. And the scripture says, if you read the latter portion of chapter 11 of Genesis, that, uh, that, that Abraham's father died there at that place and he buried him. And then again, the word of the Lord came to Abraham one more time in chapter 12 and verse 7. And he came to him with not a different promise, but with the same promise. So I just go back tonight for, to that reference to say this. That until Abraham buried his flesh, he could not move into the promise that God had for him. And so there had to be a dying of the flesh. And the dying of the flesh in this case was literally the flesh of Abraham, which was his only connection left to earth with his father. And so when he buried his flesh or his will, his desire, then he could step on into the promises of God. So this was no random thing that now they're in the land of Canaan, but God warns them all along the way, don't forget the God that has brought you out. All throughout the journey, the Lord spoke uh, to Moses in the book of Numbers, and he said, you need to tell the children of Israel to, to sew a border of blue in the bottom of their garment. And he said, this is for one thing only, that is to remember Remember that I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So every time you look at this, this is not to add a little bling to your outfit. This is not just so that everything flows better. And this is not for any other reason. But when you see the ribbon of blue, you are to be reminded that I am God that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And so we didn't just deliver you for no reason, but I delivered you to be my, your God. I am the Lord your God. And so again and again, there had to be this reminder, don't forget, remember, remember, remember. And as I often talk about during seasons of communion uh, here in the church, that's what it's all about. As often as you do this, remember, remember, because we have a real tendency to forget just where God has brought us from. So there, is these, there are these reminders in Scripture. Don't forget the rock that you were hewn from. Don't forget the mire that you were pulled out of, because if we're not careful... After we get cleaned up, walking the right way, we can get to thinking, well, I wasn't all that bad. But lost is lost. And so if you miss the train by five minutes or five days, it doesn't matter. You miss the train. And so if we're lost, we're lost. And so here is this reminder. When God begins to bless you and you come into the land of promise, don't forget the God that has brought you where you are. But of course, uh, when they reach Canaan, they encountered a new lifestyle. They encountered some things that they had not encountered before. They were exposed to other gods and other philosophies, other thoughts and other ideas. And so Baal was just one of the gods of the Canaanites. Some say that he was supposed to be a fertility god. The locals taught that if they would worship Baal, that they would have fertile wives, that they would have fertile herds, and that they would have fertile crops. The promise of fertility among the wise was essential because if you are to have long-term survival of a family or a family name, then you're going to need to be able to carry on. And so God, if you'll just serve Baal, he'll make your wives to be fertile. And then children were not just to, there for head count. They were not just there to feed and clothe. But God had something in mind that children would honor their mother and their father by providing for them food and clothing and shelter when they were their parents were too old to care for themselves. See, God thought of everything. He said it's going to be a self-sustaining system. And so, uh, so that, that we know that is true and that God does do that for us, but this is what the, the, the prophets of Baal were teaching, that if you do that, there's a principle there, but if you do that, and then the last two things, he said you'll have fertile herds and you have fertile crops, and uh, they, they, these were essential not for future preservation, but for immediate survival. And so what were the children of Israel to do? Because that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's okay to say amen, even though we're talking about Baal. Kind of makes sense. 
So to the practical element and the practical mind, they decided, well, we're in Canaan, and maybe we ought to just, you know, this makes sense to do a little bit of this, so we'll just, we'll just take a little bit of this because that seems like I can pull a, few, a little bit of that into my life. And so they began to worship Baal, at least elements of that worship. After all, they had families to feed and futures to secure. And so they worshiped and prayed to Baal for practical reasons, believing that he was a God that could meet both their present and their future needs. However, you can't forget what's been ingrained in you. You can't forget what has been taught. And so they remembered uh, the words of their parents. They remembered uh, that, that God was their, that Jehovah God was their God. So they worshiped and prayed to God for, for perhaps cultural reasons. It's kind of like passing through the buffet line. I'll take a little of this. I don't want any of that. I'll take a little of this, but I don't think I want any of that. And my, doesn't that sound like the day that we live in today? We have that Burger King mentality we wanted our way, but that is a major conflict in our faith. We can't combine faithfulness to God's word and then keep making adjustments to that all along the way. We can't pray to be more like Jesus and then uh, be so materialistic at the same time. Amen. That become very problematic for the children of Israel. Among the problems was the fact that they were breaking the first commandment, Exodus 20 and 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. In addition to breaking the outright law of God, they knew that they were in violation of the word of God in other areas like Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So there was a huge conflict. And they, these, are, these, these scriptures, both of these scriptures, were fundamental teachings in their home. If you remember the teaching of Deuteronomy 6, not only hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, but the parents were commanded to talk about this in your home. Talk about it when you sit down. Talk about it when you rise up. Ride it over the doorpost. And so this was an everyday conversation in their heart. So it's hard to forget something like that. And so there's this huge conflict in their spirit. And, and so I, I think when, uh, if we're not careful, people, I heard one man say, or maybe read this, said that, when, that some people are so open-minded that they've lost all their sins. You can be so open-minded and, and you know, if you don't believe, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And so at some point, you've got to decide what is right. We have to decide that for ourselves. We have to let the Spirit of God lead us and guide us. So when people are open to everything, then they have no real commitment to anything. I feel like this is a huge issue within the church community at large today. People are trying to serve the Lord, yet they're so caught up. Uh, Brother Jerry Dean said, uh, you know, he said, we sing this world is not our home. We're just passing through. He said, but we sure don't live like it because we want everything we can get and we're driving our tent stakes deep, as deep into the ground as we possibly can. But if we really are passing through this world, if we really are just passing through and certainly not uh, preaching against having anything by any stretch of the imagination, but we can't let the mindset of our society and our popular culture decide what we're going to do and how we're going to conduct ourselves and that can have an ill effect on our faith. Someone aptly stated that we're living among the first generation that's looking for total happiness here in this life. Amen. Think about that. People don't enjoy godly living because the nature of carnality is to rob you of the joy of today. The, the, the very nature of our world system is that the minute you get your hand on one thing, the reason things will never satisfy is because when you get your hand on one thing, they make a new thing. And so it's on and on and on and on until uh, we have this insatiable appetite uh, to always and chronically bring things into our life because we have the idea that if we can just get more, if I can have another, one more, two more, three more, that somehow that will bring peace. But I think that I'm among some spiritually minded people to know that there's not a, there's not a lot of truth in that. That you can have everything and still be miserable. You can have the whole world at your fingertips. Solomon said, I had it all. I experienced it all. Everything was at my beck and call. And it never brought peace. It never brought joy. It never brought happiness. And so the message of, uh, that we hear so much in the church world, I'm just speaking about the church world in the broadest sense, 
The message that we hear so much uh, that is just taking our world by storm is the message of prosperity and, and uh, you know, you just never want for anything and you never be sick a day in your life. And the reason that you can fill stadiums with that kind of preaching is because that's what people want to hear. We want to hear that we can prosper and, and everything that we touch is going to turn to gold. We want to hear that no matter what we face, uh, is some hardship in life that, that all that can all just be turned around by, with a, you know, some kind of token offering or something. Just put this red string in your green string in your window seal or whatever. And, and the reason that sounds nonsensical to some degree, but the reason the world is trampling a path to that is because down inside, that's what man wants to hear. That there would be no pain, there would be no suffering, that there would be no, no, no loss or no, uh, no ill or, or no season of discomfort. That, that, that mindset views God as just some genie in a bottle and people feel as though they can just rub that proverbial lamp and then force God to do whatever they desire for God to do. But he is not, God is not a stock clerk working on the other side of the counter. That we just go up and ring the bell and place our order. That is not how God works. Elijah had, had a word for that generation. He had a very strong and powerful word. I believe that uh, Elijah the Old Testament was much like Simon Peter of the New Testament. I think he was a man that just spoke from his heart. He just shot from the hip. And, and uh, so he just stepped out to these people, not only the prophets of Baal, but to the children of Israel who knew better. And he said, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to sway? Or how long are you going to totter? You're going to have to make up your mind, get in or get out. If God is God, let's follow him. But if he's not, then let's just turn and follow Baal. Elijah's words were sure. And they were powerful and they needed no further explanation. There was nobody in the crowd that day that was whispering among themselves and saying, I wonder what he meant by that. Elijah was speaking boldly and directly in 1 Kings 18 and 21. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Now I think it's important to notice that Elijah did not ask the people to base their decision upon who could bring prosperity or who could bring happiness or who could bring health. He said the challenge here to every listener is we're going to decide who is God. Not who can make us feel warm and fuzzy, but who is God? Elijah had a word for his generation. There is no doubt about that, but I believe that he truly had a word for this generation as well. I believe the words that I'm reading tonight still echo through, through the centuries to confront us that are sitting here in this auditorium tonight. How long halt ye between two opinions? If ever the church is going to be called on or has been called on to decide what we're going to do, I believe we're being called on today. I believe that with all of my heart, there must be a definitive line in the sand. God has always had a people. He's always had a church and and we cannot blur the line. And if, if the church is being called on, I believe that we are. I believe that if we have ever been called, it's a day to rise and stand and be counted for what we believe. We must choose our allegiance based upon who God really is. Our motivation for following the Lord just simply cannot be that we can go to heaven nor that we can just avoid going to hell. My motivation for following the Lord is not just so that I can have joy in my life or that he will provide for my every want, wish, or desire. My motivation for serving the Lord is because I am convinced he is God. Amen. He is God and he is God alone all by himself. And so because of their divided passions, the children of Israel had a prayer life that rendered no power. As a matter of fact, it only led to frustration. They were really no different than the prophets of Baal. And so I want us to pick up reading again, if we can, chapter 18, but verses number 22 through 25. The Bible says, Then Elijah said unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock 
and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And ye call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now a moment ago when Elijah called the meeting to order, nobody had a word to say. They answered him not a word. But now he's presented a plan. And so he said, I'm going to let you, we're going to take two bulls and I'm going to let you choose the one you want. Just make sure there's nothing sneaky going on here. And so he said, we're going to lay them out. Here's how we're going to do it. You, you choose the one. I'll take whatever's left over. We're calling on the name of the Lord. I'm going to call on, you call on your gods. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, that we're going to let him be God. Verse 25, the Bible says, And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under now, in these verses, Elijah sets forth a plan to help them decide just who is going to be God or who are we going to follow? What are we going to do? You see, this is not just going to be a spectacular moment, but this is going to be a lifestyle change for a lot of people standing in this crowd. It's at least going to be decision time. At a very minimum, it's going to be decision time. And so the prophets of Baal were to prepare the altar and then call on the name of their God to consume the sacrifice with fire. And Elijah was to do the same. They would declare the deity that responded to be the true God. To be sure, Elijah has now placed himself in an all or nothing situation. It's all in. There's nothing, there's no, uh, pardon the, the illustration here, but there's no ace up a sleeve. There, all the cards are on the table. And so it's all in or nothing. Now this is pretty dangerous living. I know we already know the end of the story, so we kind of jump down there ahead of ourselves and you are probably a little ahead of me tonight. But if you play it out frame by frame, not just jump to the end, but realize that Elijah really put everything on the line. Everything on the line. At the end of this demonstration, everyone is either going to call him a true prophet of God or he is going to be mocked out of the city and be called a fraud. The prophets of Baal accepted the challenge and they went first. Now let's look closely at just what happened as the prophets of Baal began to move forward from verse 22. They had a lot of people with them praying far more than Elijah. He said, I'm the only one. I'm just one here. They had 450 men versus one. They prayed for a long time. According to verse number 26, the scripture says they prayed from morning until noon. Not only did they pray a long time, but they were very demonstrative in their prayer. They were pretty animated. If you read the scriptures, they jumped up and down on the altar so much so that they broke the altar down, tore the altar up in verse 28. They made a lot of noise in their prayer. They cried aloud, the Bible says in verse 28. Then they even went so far as to even make uh, sadistic sacrifices. Verse 28 is pretty gruesome. If you read that, the Bible says they cut themselves with swords and lancets until blood gushed out of them. And so this was not just merely a pricking of the skin, but they were so desperate in their attempt to prove uh, that Baal was really God until they cried aloud, they were very demonstrative in their worship. They made a lot of noise. They tore the altar down. Then they began to cut themselves. And yet their prayer was helpless. Their God did not respond. And then in verse number 27, to make matters worse, Elijah started making fun of them. <laughs> and uh, it doesn't matter how long you pray. I'll just leave that alone. You read verse 27 on your own. But... It doesn't matter how long you pray. It doesn't matter how exuberant your prayer. It doesn't even matter how much noise you make. If you're praying to a deaf God, it is ineffective. And so all the noise that's going on, all the clamor, all the shouting, all the bloodshed, it is all for naught because they're praying to a God that does not even exist. Amen. Now, if you pan the camera over once again to God's man of the hour, I like to call him, Elijah was standing there with two opposing forces, and this can't be lost to us. On one side, obviously, was the false prophets of Baal. But on the other side of that stood the undecided. On the other side of that were God's people. 
God's elect that had been brought out of the land of Egypt because he was talking to somebody when he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? And so he had the people that were convinced Baal was their God and then he had another crowd who didn't know what they believed. And so in the midst of all of this opposition, he prayed a prayer that God honored. A very short, a very concise prayer, but never doubt for one moment that his prayer was anything less than the result of a deep trust and relationship that he had in God. Hallelujah. We're not always in a position to pray long, lengthy prayers. We're not always in a position to, to do that. And so we've, we're called on uh, at times to pray prayers that, uh, that sometimes are in a controlled environment. It's okay to say amen. I've had to pray prayers in controlled environments. I've had to pray prayers where you couldn't just jump up on the table. I wouldn't have done that anyway. But you, you, you weren't at liberty to just do a lot of things. But I, I don't think that limited the power of God. Not if I already have in, in, in relationship with him, that is. Amen. Not if I already got something going on between me and the Lord. I can just whisper his name. I can make my request, my petition known to him. It's not how loud I say it. It's not whether I yell it or tell it. It's just, it's what, what all depends on us, what's been going on the days before and the weeks before and the months before and the years before. I'm talking about when God's people pray. When God's people pray, I believe that we can stand and hold someone's hand in a hospital room with only a curtain that's dividing us from another family and another situation, another set of circumstances, but we can hold somebody's hand and if we have to whisper a prayer in the powerful name of Jesus and he can move in that situation and in that circumstance, something happens when God's people pray. Verses 31 through 35 give great detail about the altar that Elijah built. And for the sake of time, I am not going to address all of that, but Elijah was not only mocking them in verse number 27 verbally, but I believe that he was mocking them in a sense as he began to build the altar and, and as he began to dig the trench around the altar. And then, then he called for 12 barrels of water and then he called for 12 more and then he called for 12 more. He was going to make sure that they understood that we're not playing here. And so I want to get back to to, to, to this and say tonight that the church is being called on to be counted and so Elijah said we're not just going to pray a little prayer we're not just going to stand the, in the shadows and hope everything comes out alright but we want you to understand unequivocally when this is all over we want you to understand who God really is it's going to be decision time in a few moments in just, in just a few moments all of this nonsense is going to end all the screaming all the yelling all the jumping up and down all of the cutting themselves with lancets and all the blood flowing down all of that's going to stop in just a moment I'm going to speak to Jehovah God I'm going to speak to the God that really will answer by fire and it's going to be decision time for somebody in this crowd amen when God's people pray he left no way out of this situation he soaked the altar and then prayed the only way for the sacrifice to be consumed would be the hand of God the hand of God and so a Elijah's prayer didn't rhyme if you read it. As I often say, I would have a hard time believing that, that Elijah put on his best stained glass voice and started praying, but he just prayed a very simple prayer. He began his prayer by stating the very purpose why they were even gathered there. So I want us to read and watch the, the prayer as this unfolds. He stated his purpose in 1 Kings 18 and 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He is now fixing to state the purpose of why they're even gathered there. This has gone on half the day. This has gone on a, a lot of nonsense. People are exhausted from everything that's taken place. But now, he said, I want to remind us of why we're even gathered here. He said, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I have done these things at thy word. 
Amen. I'm going to tell you, Elijah, I'm, I'm not trying to paint him out as just some cocky individual, but I'm, I'm painting him out as somebody that's confident not only in the God that he serves, but he's confident in his relationship with that God. You've got to be confident in your relationship with that kind of God. He said, let it be known today that thou art God. And one more thing while we're at it, I want them to know that I, your servant, have done all of this at thy word. And then he gave his request. He said, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art God and that, that thou hast turned their heart back again. I want you to understand something, Lord. Let all these people know that thou art God. This is not about Elijah. This is not about me. This is not about me gathering some following out of the end result of all of this. He said, everybody needs to know at the end of this that thou art God so that their heart can be turned back again. And so after this concise and humble prayer, God responded. I'm telling you tonight that when God's people pray, when, when, when we say we're going to pray about a situation, it, it, we, there should be so much confidence that follows that to the hearer of that statement that they don't think, well, oh boy, here we go again. Well, I've heard that before. I've felt that kind of cold slap on the back or that, that, uh, that hollow handshake. I've felt that before. But when God's people pray, I believe that when I kneel down in the morning, I believe that when you you kneel down in the morning. I believe that I'm not kneeling in that living room alone. Brother Rayleigh, I don't think that. I don't believe that I'm, I'm kneeling there in the dark all by myself. But I believe that when I kneel down, I feel the Holy Ghost. I believe that when I kneel down, heaven stands at attention. I'm, I hope you don't think I'm being arrogant tonight. I'm talking about the power that God has placed within the church. He didn't fill us with the Holy Ghost and then call some anemic bride to try to win and touch and affect the world that is filled with sin. But God has empowered the church. And so when we kneel in prayer, it may be our voice only that we hear in that room. But I'll tell you tonight that the angels, I believe, give attention. I believe the angels stand at attention when the church begins to make a request I don't think the angels were, were, were not standing at attention when Elijah was on top of Mount Carmel I believe they were watching all of this unfold and the Bible says in verse number 38 then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifices and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench now watch what happens after God answers this prayer the people worshipped him. Verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, if I could just put a comma right here and say that while God does use the venue of the church, and I'm thankful for that, our motivation should not be to try to win people to hatch me an apostolic church. Our motivation ought to be to win people to God. And if this is where they make home, so be it. But this is not about us. This is not about me. This is not about, you strong enough to take this now? This is not even about you. Believe it or not. But this is about someone being able to come into a revelatory spirit and presence where they can find out truth from, from falsehood, where somebody can come and realize that there is a God in heaven that can and will hear and answer my prayer. There's a God that can touch the ills of my life and do something about the sin problem. And so this wasn't some uh, dog and pony show that so Elijah could have banners with his name on it down the next in the next village or hamlet. But when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Nobody was saying, Elijah, you're the 
men. Elijah, what a prayer. Elijah, oh my Lord, would you, would you do this? Elijah this or Elijah that? But when they walked away from this experience, they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I would pray that the spirit of God would touch, so touch the church and so touch the fabric of our heart that our motivation would be to lead people to him, to the cross of Calvary. He, hallelujah, he shed his blood to save this world. I'm not trying to lead people to me. We shouldn't be trying to lead people to you, but if we lead people to God, if we can lead them to God, please understand me. I'm not negating the responsibility of the church, nor am I negating the responsibility of people to belong to a church. Now, I've said many, many times, God sets the solitary into families. Children are not just born and cast in a ditch to get by the best way they can. And so spiritually, people are not just born out in the middle of nowhere and, 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 and then they hope they get by. God plants people in churches. I believe that God sends ministers to churches, amen, to, to pastor and shepherd them, but I also believe God send people to, sends people to church to be the sheep of that fold for the church. And so not negating any of that responsibility, but what I'm telling you this evening is that our motivation is to point people to God. And when we pray, when we pray, when we lay hands on somebody that God would not just fix what's wrong with them physically but God would open their eyes something something snapped I don't think they were just caught up in the fumes of the smoke or the fire I don't think they were caught up in even the, the dynamics of what happened but when God began to move something loosed in their heart and they said the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and here is here's what it all boils down to when somebody gets this for them themselves <laughs> that is a gift that cannot be taken back I, I'm certainly not saying that I have never gone to someone to ask them to pray I have certainly done that through the years but I, I want to make sure that's God and not me for many reasons, but just one of them being that if I can talk you into praying, somebody else can talk you out of praying. But if the spirit of conviction draws us to the foot of the cross, we'll be there. When the spirit of God pulls something into our spirit, then the Bible says in verse number 40, listen, Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal and let, none, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Amen. Those were the ones who did not see that. They're the ones that did not get that moment of revelation to figure out who is who. God was dealing with his people. God was dealing with his people at that particular moment. Amen. The false prophets were killed. I'm telling you this evening, this is very, very serious. It's a sober time. I know that there's a lot of things going on in our world to keep us distracted but I promise you this is one of the most serious moments that the church age has ever known if we only knew if we just knew what was going on I'm, no tactics I'm speaking from my heart that if we only knew what was just going on in the spirit world right now we would be far more diligent far more sober as our musicians come I made mention of this a moment ago but I'll say it again. During this year, 2014, I have felt of urgency in my spirit about prayer. I have felt that challenge on a very personal level, but I've also felt that challenge for us as a church. I spent several weeks teaching about not just the Lord's Prayer, but the principles that we find that are laid out for us in the Lord's Prayer. And no matter what I read, no matter what I study, it just seems that my heart comes right back to the subject of prayer. I just can't seem to get far away from it, not that I'm trying. But I suppose what it boils down to is this this evening. We need to ask ourselves about our own prayer life. And, you know, I've used this illustration with other things, so let me use it with prayer tonight. We can say, and I believe that we are a giving church, and I say that humbly, very humbly. I'm thankful for our support of missions both home and abroad. And we can talk about being a giving church, 
but just being a part of a giving church does not make you a giver. So you have to ask yourself, if we're talking about missions, what am I giving to missions? We can talk about being a worshiping church, and I'm thankful for the spirit of worship. But just because we are a part of a worshiping church doesn't make us a worshiper. We need to ask ourselves, what is my contribution to worship? Do I just give one of these every now and then? Or am I a real worshiper? Is there something in my heart? Is there a passion and a drive? So we have to really ask ourselves some hard questions. We can say, I'm glad to be a part of a praying church. But before we close all that up and put it away, we need to ask ourselves, but how is my prayer life? How is my prayer life? And so the children of Israel were praying, but apparently they were praying for wrong reasons and motives. And so I don't want to be praying insincerely or I don't want to be praying wrong. I, I, I want to I turn myself more toward Elijah. Elijah was faced with impossible odds and impossible circumstances, but yet he boldly asked God to intervene. I want to have faith to pray, and I mentioned this or alluded to this a moment ago, but I want to have faith to pray beyond the scope of what I could fix if God just happened not to come through. Amen. I want to pray with great passion and fervor for those who do not have the Holy Ghost because I don't want them to just keep attending church here and walking out on Sunday and walking out on Wednesday unchanged. That bothers me. It ought to bother every one of us. There ought to be something that stirs over in us. I'm being very, very serious. That we ought to be stirred for people that, that feel something but then walk the other way. People that are moved but not moved enough. I want to pray fervently, passionately that they would have the Holy Ghost. I don't only want to pray with fervor but I want to pray certainly with sincere motives. Pray prayers that God can and will honor. God honored the prayers of Elijah, not just once, but countless occasions. And then James, as we stand, James truly challenges each and every one of us to a new level of prayer. Because James 5 and 16 says this, Confess your faults one to another. Let me pause here. That didn't say confess your sins one to another. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. I think we need to have people in our life we can talk to about our faults. People that we can just lean on and say, you know what, I need you to help me pray about this. And They're not going to go tell that everywhere. I'm not going to read that in the paper. I'm not going to read it on Facebook. You know, I don't know if anybody even still reads the paper, but <laughs> I'm sure they do. But that's not going to be posted somewhere. That's not going to be put out in the street somewhere. But, but I can confess that and then we can pray for one another that we may be healed. The effectual, we quote this part a lot when we leave off the upper portion. Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then verse 17 is this New Testament reference to what we've been talking about tonight. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was a man cut out of the same fabric that we're cut out of. He had days of great faith, and then he also had days of great deep depression. As a matter of fact, if you just keep your finger on the scriptures we've been talking about and drop them down just a few more, just a few more verses, you'll find this same man in one of his darkest hours. So he was a man of like passions just like we, you and I. But he prayed, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Scripture says, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. This same man had highs and lows. He had days that he had great faith, and other days he was overwhelmed with doubt. James brings this New Testament believers right back to the feet, 
feet of the man that has been at the center of what we've been talking about tonight. So that leaves us with some strong questions begging for answers. Will we have the courage to pray like Elijah praying? Like Elijah praying. I've been faced with sometimes just unsurmountable odds. Standing with families that it just seemed like all hope was gone. And in that atmosphere where there's not a praise team behind you singing and not beautiful music going, kind of get everything warmed up, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm talking about when God's people pray, something has to happen. Something has to move. The church, again, is not some anemic body floundering its way around. But the church is standing sure-footed. That's why Elijah used the word halt. How long are you going to sway and totter around? You need to get your feet on something firm. And at the end result of all of this miracle were people that said, The Lord, He is God. You know what? Every now and then we just need to be reminded that the Lord, He is God. He is God. Amen. Why don't we just, would you make an altar right where you stand? Amen. Would you slip your hands up and could we really, literally, with our mouths, with our heart and our spirit, could we just ask God to help us to have confidence in His Word, that we can stand on that Word? God, I want to be in close relationship with You. Lord, I want You to recognize my voice when I call on Your name. I want You to recognize my voice when I pray. Whether I sing, say it, my prayer aloud or whether I whisper it under my breath. Lord, I want You to know. I want You to know me and hear and answer my prayer in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.